This is the murderer you know. Hello to everyone. <laughs> everyone in America and for the second week in a row, lucky us, New Zealand. How is everyone? Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Good. Good. Um, I'm feeling a little bitter that we didn't take this on the road like oh visit in person but otherwise doing okay doing great brilliant brilliant yes, yes as i as i said i i have been to new zealand most beautiful place on earth so i i, I would have I, I would have voted for uh recording there too A field trip <laughs> well lisa marie i think you just got back from a little vacation right yeah yeah, I went oh. up to see my brother up in Hamilton and and Auckland. So I went on a little road trip with my daughter, stopped halfway up to see my sister and then took her and we went all the way up to the top of the, the North Island because I'm in the the bottom of the North Island, Wellington, smack bang in the middle. Okay. So That's it was so quite cool. Nice, nice little journey up. I've never been, I've not been to that part of the world, but it looks... <laughs> glorious yeah yeah can be can be <laughs> so welcome everyone to the murderer you know by now I don't think it's going to be a surprise to anyone since we told you last week and it's pretty much a habit for us now this is a part two so if you didn't listen to episode I wrote it on my hand and I still can't keep it 26 26 no 25 25 if you didn't listen to episode 25 go back listen to that one and then come back and we'll be here so last week we talked about a guy you met also on Tinder, right? Lisa Marie or uh, messenger, Facebook, Facebook messenger. messenger. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, the plot thickens. Doo -doo -doo. So we talked about him. We talked about this crime that took place and we, I think that's pretty much where we ended sort of a timeline of everything that happened and this week, we're going to get into your favorite part, lawyer. The I mean, <laughs> but I just feel like unfavorite. Is this least no, no, favorites again? No, 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 no. I like the punishment. That's my favorite part. <laughs> but I'm Me not going to understand. I'm not going to understand what's going on here. Like, this is not even a different state. This is a whole different continent, country. Mm -hmm. Is it yeah. a Oh, cut this part out. Country? <laughs> Magna Carter. I just know law. I don't know geography. Well, you can compare it to, to what, you know, the differences. Of Contrast and compare. Yes. <laughs> Look at your ass pantomiming again. Mm. I love to <laughs> pantomime. I love to air quote, you know, I'm just here. So what I have to start with for this week is something called that was, it's a name suppression. So this is new on me. And I think it'll be interesting to see if this is new on everyone else other than Lisa Marie, because <laughs> I feel like we 
don't really have this here, at least not in the same way. So I feel like it's important to mention this here because from the very, very beginning through almost the very, very bitter end of all of the legal stuff involved in this crime, this guy's name was suppressed. And New Zealand, and I always say this every week, so don't let me forget to say it now. If y'all hear me saying some bullshit that's incorrect, just stop me and tell me (laughs) because I certainly don't know for 100% fact if all this stuff I found on that lovely government website you sent me was interpreted correctly by me. Oh, we'll see so, how we go. <laughs> <laughs> what I read is that New Zealand allows suspects to request name suppressions. It's sort of that idea of innocent until proven guilty. Um, yeah. Another thing I read was that it helps, and we have the same idea here, people get a fair trial and a fair shot through sort of the legal system. I just, I don't, what's happening? That you don't know what their name is through the whole trial? No. You just call him like John Doe? Yeah. I don't know. What what do they call him? Yeah, it's like certain names like that. Sort of like a I John Doe type just thing. touching on the reason why, I think another reason, because New Zealand is so small, you're going to know who the victim is or who the suspect is very quickly. So they okay. do name suppression as well, just for the security and like the safety of the people involved. I think because we are very small <laughs> and everyone knows everyone. Okay. Do they suppress the victim's name too? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And that's just for safety, security, privacy. It's not advertised that they've suppressed the name, but it's because they focus in on the perpetrator. But then when everything's kind of said and done, it's up to the victim if they want to be unsuppressed, <laughs> revealed. Hmm. Unsuppressed, revealed. Yeah. <laughs> well, what if the so, victim is dead? Well, to uh, the then family, it'll be maybe? family and, and oh, okay. the close yeah. ones. I mean, so, we don't. Most of them would reveal because it'll be a you know justice for Jane Doe. <laughs> well, not Jane Doe, but you know. So, but a lot of people will keep that quite hush hush to start off with, just until all the facts and and all the legal side and somewhat comes out. That's so interesting. Does the does the judge? I kind of got the impression that even the judge doesn't know the name. Well, I wouldn't have a clue about that. (laughs) So one of the things I read was, and we're about to get into this part of it, but basically this guy had committed a lot of other crimes, including sexual assault, violent sexual assault of two other women. And his legal team sort of explained that part of the reason why the name was suppressed was to ensure that the trials for those other crimes were also fair and just. So in my mind, I kind of wondered if even the judge wouldn't know what this guy's name was and that he was involved in these other crimes, or if they just meant the jury and those sorts of things. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure about in the court itself with the judge, but definitely any kind of, definitely media. And I I know you're probably going to touch a bit about this, about how the media played a part in with the name suppression. But I think everyone in the court behind closed doors they're all shut up they all know who the person is and then obviously when you leave the courtroom you can't yeah can't say anything so okay so when he was when he was initially charged he was actually denied the name suppression but this was appealed by his defense team 
And this sort of started an immediate automatic name suppression for 20 working days. Unfortunately, according to his lawyers, at least the name suppression, and you were just kind of talking about this a little bit, Lisa Marie, while they were able to get it moving forward from that 20 day automatic suppression, the name suppression couldn't really stop outlets outside of New Zealand. So Mm -hmm. there were big news reports coming through from like Google was sending out push notifications. Well, I don't think they had, maybe it was through email and those sorts of things at the time. And the UK was printing a lot of stories about this and there was nothing that the courts in New Zealand could really do to ensure that the name was suppressed outside of the country. So it did pretty quickly become kind of a crazy media fanfare, even with the name suppression. And his his defense said that this really threatened his ability to receive a fair trial. We don't have anything like that here. An arrest warrant and a criminal complaint is a public record. You can literally go to any courthouse and get a copy, a literal copy of the cop's either handwritten or typed explanation of what the basis for the warrant is. Uh-huh. And the warrant that has, you know, the person's name in charge and everything. Hmm. Yeah. And there's also, I don't know if it's every state, but in Virginia, there's a website you can go to Virginia courts, pick the court you're interested in, type in the name of the person and see where they are in their, I guess, prosecution. Yep. Well, they have that for New Zealand too. And actually Lisa Marie sent me the link to that. So if I looked on that website while this trial was ongoing, what would I have seen? It just would have, his name would have been redacted or something. Yeah, it was, I think in that link that I sent you and some of the court documents that came up, it it was when he had name suppression and it was uh, dot something and some numbers versus the crown and whatnot. So that's how the crown. I know it was so I like that. <laughs> the crown, the crown. The crown. Versus, <laughs> ooh, I'm moving to New Zealand. I'm going to be the crown. Mm. <laughs> I don't think that's how it works. Wait a minute. Why not? <laughs> I'm never mind. It's fine. It's just a dream of mine now <laughs> to be the crown lit. <laughs> you can, they do in most cases, especially cases involving children, they redact the victim's name. They usually just uh-huh. put initials and they'll even do that in adult cases if it's like sensitive enough so they do have a provision to do that yeah even in the story that we covered two and three weeks ago about the young girl and her boyfriend her name was redacted redacted because she was 14 at the time of the crimes even if you asked in that county was she involved in a crime they couldn't tell you like yeah and you wouldn't You wouldn't be able to access her court records. Juvenile court records are the exact opposite. They're completely Mm -hmm. sealed. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, given the size of the county, everybody knew who it was anyway. Mm. Like in New Zealand. Mm. (laughs) We have counties the size of New Zealand. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) Just kidding. So this guy just getting a little bit back into why his team was 
so adamant about this name suppression. He was a little bit of a troubled guy. He was estranged from his family. He had been charged with several crimes, including drunk driving and disorderly behavior. He also, it turned out, had committed other violent crimes against another woman that he met on Tinder. And I think he met them both on Tinder, but the second was a little bit more serious of a relationship, a little bit more of like an actual girlfriend. We'll get, we'll get a little bit more into that in just a second. There were also kind of rumors coming from his family. Like his paternal grandfather said that he fathered a child while he was living in Sydney after college. And this is jumping ahead because remember, we're still in 2019 getting ready for the trial. But when his identity was finally released to the public in December 2020, after a couple of failed appeals to continue the suppression, it was revealed that he had also been convicted of nine charges of rape, sexual violation, threatening to kill, and assault of those two women I just mentioned. So that's completely other and completely separate horrible, violent sexual assaults. His defense wanted to ensure he received fair trials, like I mentioned, for all of the crimes. And in fact, he was later tried for these crimes against these two women and received another 11 years in prison to be served concurrently with the sentence he received that we're about to talk about for the story we focused on last week. It seems to me it would be hard to find other potential victims of a person if they're I don't know if their name wasn't in the paper or I don't know it just seems it would make things harder for the police I think you can look at that both ways on one hand absolutely it would make it more difficult for the police but I think some people would argue on the other hand isn't it kind of influential. If you see on the news that someone is charged with a similar crime to the crime you experienced, maybe that's not even the right person. And it convinces you that it is, you know, so mm, well, I that's think a really good point. Two different ways to consider it. Mm-hmm. Let's get into the trial. Uh, from last week that this guy was taken into police custody on the 8th of December. 2018. And after just about a month in custody, he appeared before the high court on the 16th of January, 2019, and he pled not guilty. The name suppression remained in place after he pled not guilty. The decision was appealed to remove the name suppression on the 7th of February, but the judge elected to keep it in place. And then on November 4th, since he pled not guilty, so this was very similar to me, like just from the little bit that I learned to how things kind of progress here in the U.S., because after he pled not guilty on November 4th, he went to a trial with a jury, and that trial began with the selection of a jury of 12. So, you know, pretty consistent so far. And that jury was made up of seven women and five men. After the jury was selected, he confirmed he was pleading not guilty. And everyone sort of started presenting their evidence. During the trial, he was described as looking stony-faced. And he was often seen holding his head in his hands when particularly graphic evidence was being given. 
a number of people obviously testified, including three female witnesses who also met this guy on Tinder. And all three of them said he was a masochist and that he liked bondage, including choking during sex. The prosecution argued that he strangled the young woman to death by applying manual pressure to her neck for five to 10 minutes following their Tinder date. And they revealed the details of his internet searches and activity immediately afterward. Because he's basically trying to say, and maybe I'm jumping ahead, but it just bothers me so much. He's basically trying to say she asked for it and the rough sex was her idea and she consented. So I think it's really important that they had these other women there saying, no, he was like that before. And I think they put a lot of work in to (laughs) just sort of proving that you can't consent to being killed essentially, (laughs) which makes sense to me. (laughs) We need a legal opinion here. Can you consent to being killed? (laughs) Seems like a (laughs) no-brainer. No-brainer. I'm going to leave it at that. Lisa Marie got it. (laughs) Shut it down. Don't ask silly questions. Uh, We need the coffee for this. What is this called? Coffee and murder? Murder coffee? Coffee Coffee and crime. I must confess, I'm actually not having a coffee today. I've had my coffee this morning. And if I have another one, then it's not good for me. <laughs> so, so I, I know. Not having my coffee. <laughs> so just out of curiosity, you're you're in a different day than we are, right? <laughs> you can't imagine how much we've talked about this already. <laughs> You can't imagine. You can't. Day. You can't imagine that this woman, who knows everything that there is to know about everything, who traveled to this whole ass country that she's asking about, just looked that woman in her face and asked if she was in a different day, like dead seriously. Goodness. <laughs> well, I, I, I googly moogly. I, I think I remember being a day ahead the whole time we were there. It was very yeah. confusing. Yeah, it's tomorrow at like what is it? 125 yeah that's right it's so confusing (laughs) when I told my husband that I was recording with you tonight he was like oh you're time traveling (laughs) (laughs) I like that yeah okay where were we so we were time traveling which I'm into after they talked about how long he had to apply pressure to her neck. The lawyer for the defense said that she would have lost consciousness at some point and she would have become limp and lifeless while he carried on and that it would have been very, very obvious to him that he was killing her and that she also likely would have struggled for her life. So again, like I said, they're really trying to shut down that narrative of like, it was an accident. I had no idea. And, you know, we sort of talked about some of those things last week. So like I said, make sure if you, if you're suddenly realizing still that you didn't listen to last week, it's not too late to go back and catch up on what we're talking about here. They also talked a lot about the Crimes Act of 1961, and this sort of defines exactly what 
murder is and what manslaughter is. And there are a lot of legal terms and definitions in there. But the important part of it for our story was that the killing of another person by an unlawful act is culpable homicide. So the prosecution had to prove that an unlawful act took place. Culpable homicide is murder if the offender intended to either kill the victim or inflict bodily injury known to be likely to cause death. So they had to prove that he intended to harm her or kill her. And these states of mind together are referred to as murderous intent. And there are two different forms of culpable homicide defined in this Crimes Act. And those are similar to the U.S. murder and manslaughter. So how similar or different does just from that brief little description, does that seem to, we've kind of talked about this before. There are legal codes and things defining that sort of stuff in our country. Are, are those definitions similar? Yeah. I mean, I think for the most part, they're similar. I mean, the big thing that we talk about distinguishing first and second degree is premeditation. So that's going to be the biggest thing that we focus on in terms of categorizing homicide and premeditation is also part of that definition for you right yeah the defense on the other hand argued that the young woman died during a misadventure during consensual sex they said their client we touched on this briefly last week but he loved to lie to women that he met online he liked to Mm -hmm. tell them he was rich and famous and the owner of an oil company that's what he told this woman and he just had these grand stories about himself but his team argued that he only lied to women because he had low self-esteem and not because he was trying to trick them or because he had any sort of nefarious intent (laughs) they said the victim was very into bdsm and told her date she'd gotten super into that sort of thing with her ex-boyfriend they argued she consented they said she asked to be choked even that she put his hands on her neck and that since she consented there was lack of an unlawful act and assault and also also that since there was no culpable homicide according to the crime act of 1961 there was no murder so this is kind of the path they're going down I mean, I know we've talked about it before. I think consent is a pretty broad defense to most things. Uh, I mean, that's really, that's out in the field, my guy. I don't even have a word for it to try to argue that you can consent to being like, no, at the time she passed out, there was no longer consent. Right, right. Mm-hmm. If you're not conscious, it doesn't matter if you consented at one point in time. Right. But did he ever use the defense that it was an accident that they were involved yes. in this sadistic? Yes, that sex is the defense act? he used. Yeah. Okay. Yes, that's exactly the defense that they used. And, you know. So, reasonable doubt. Yeah, I guess his team basically said, so one of the things to sort of answer your question, one of the things they addressed was there were no defensive wounds. So they sort of used this to support their theory that the violent sex was consensual and that the death was an accident. 
they said in their version of events, their client took a shower after the two had sex. He came out, the room was dark. It was late. He was disoriented. They had a lot to drink. He claimed he thought she had left. So he kind of fell into bed, woke up the next morning around six o'clock. And only then he noticed that the young woman was still in his apartment and supposedly allegedly tried to wake her up she wouldn't wake up he panicked and everything basically evolved from there but the prosecution pointed out he didn't call the police he didn't call an ambulance he searched for lisa marie how do i say these mountains wait a kitty white to carry yeah <laughs> He searched for the White to Carry Mountains at 1.29 a.m. They pointed out that he searched for things like cars for hire, large bags for sale near me, and rigor mortis as early as 6 a.m. on December 2nd. He also searched for carpet cleaner, rug doctors, and even what time is it in London right now, later in the day? Because remember, it was this woman's birthday. So basically the, the prosecution said, yeah, he was smart enough to realize her family and friends were going to be reaching out. So that's why he was, you know, even Googling what time is it in London? So it, it just, I don't, well, we I don't about this before. One of the ways to show that you, I don't know, premeditation, have a plan, whatever is for you taking all those steps, I guess. So he claims he just fell asleep was she in the bed next to him dead and he didn't notice there was somebody else in the bed he thought she had left without saying goodbye you want to know what else he did i'm not sure he went oh another... no 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 <laughs> plug <Shame>. your ears <laughs> shame he went on shame. another tinder date with this with her still with her body still at his apartment i hope he didn't take that date back home <laughs> no i don't think so but like this all of these things were used against him in the trial mm -hmm. obviously you know the prosecution was really trying to prove that he had no regard for human life he was callous he was violent and dangerous and they used all of these things and one thing that i thought was really interesting while i was researching this is that this woman was the 59th woman from the uk who was killed by a man who tried to use the defense that their consensual sex act went horribly wrong and her death was sort of the beginning of the end for this rough sex defense, which this is horrifying to me. This defense has resulted in a lesser charge, a lighter sentence, or no investigation as a crime at all in 45% of cases where it was used. And after this happened to this young woman, an act came out. And I don't know, you can probably speak a little bit more to this Lisa Marie, but when I was reading about it, it was just an act. It hadn't been codified into law or anything yet, but even the act can be useful in helping to prevent this sort of defense moving forward. Yeah. I mean, when all this came out and, and you just 
that like the only fifth, you know, the 59th woman, it's not a huge thing that you hear this rough sex defense. And especially with this case, it was the actions afterwards that has thrown his defense out the window. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's why you can't use it anymore because Mm -hmm. you didn't act. (laughs) If he then called the ambulance or the police and everything and probably went as anyone (laughs) in this position should do if this has ever happened, that's why it was like, okay, well, we have to relook at this. We have to say why the rough six defense doesn't work in all cases and you can't just fall on the back of it because you don't have the consenting partner there to actually say yes I consented to this because unfortunately they are now a victim and they're you know if they've unfortunately they've died so it was a huge thing that came out that is quite like we had not really heard of it the rough sex defense and it was like it sounded like a bit of a (laughs) cop-out in all honesty Mm -hmm. so it was real interesting how it moved away to that and then obviously into an act but yeah It's very, very interesting. I thought I agree. All told, the trial lasted three weeks on November 22nd, 2019. After four hours of deliberation, the jury announced their guilty verdict. Four hours. Is that a long time? How long? It's longer than we've heard in many of our stories. How long was the trial? Three weeks. Yeah, nah. Four of them. Nah. Were you done? You just kind of like. No, off. I muted myself on accident. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> what is the last thing I said? You said, oh, nah, nah. <laughs> oh, nah. Oh, nah. All right. Let me get back to that. Oh, nah, nah, nah. No, nah. The amount of deliberation should at least be kind of. I mean, not equal, of course, but. I don't know. More equal to the amount of trial. If you have a three week trial. You should at least have like a two, maybe three day deliberation, mm-hmm. not a four hour deliberation. <laughs> like we had a five week jury trial and I think they deliberated for four days. Just because yeah. there's so much to consider. There's so much or... to go over. Yeah. I mean, gotcha. There's so much to go over. There's so many instructions and I'm sure it's similar there. Most jury trials are probably similarly situated. That makes sense. After only four hours, when the verdict was announced, he was briefly sent out of the courtroom for some reason. And I, I don't really know why it wasn't explained. It was just mentioned. And he came back looking puffy and red faced, sort of like he had been crying, but people, this really didn't sit right with people. To me, it really made me think of the Menendez brothers because people just thought he was acting like he was going for his Oscar no one believed it at all and they thought he was oh we just didn't care yeah (laughs) at that point we're just like when it all came out and we're guilty you know we were all celebrating somewhat Mm -hmm. and so then when it was like oh this is what he looked like after hearing the verdict it's like sorry we've moved on from this now forget you I do want to ask Lisa Marie since the name of the perpetrator has been suppressed I guess people are not just allowed to go in and watch the trial I guess the trials are closed to the public it was yeah it wasn't televised or anything like that and and updates came out were released on news outlets and whatnot again but it's it was hard because they're only allowed to say certain things and without giving away 
because the victim and her family in the UK are well-known, respectable and everything like that, that's why a lot of it came out. We found out who it was and everything like that. So, yeah, we couldn't actually watch the trial, but there was... I mean, when all was said and done, we saw pictures and and a bit more into it, but we couldn't actually watch it as Mm. it was happening. Yeah, that's like so different than the American theory of justice, of of the rights of criminal defendants, because the theory is it has to be public for it to be fair, that people need to be able to watch it to ensure that justice is being enacted fairly. So warrants are public, trials are completely open to the public. I mean, they're not all televised, obviously, but some of them are. Yeah, I was listening to something about what are they called? Courtroom sketch artists or whatever they're called. And it was saying that actually there are only laws in the U.S. still for federal court saying that you can't have cameras and things in there. So that's sort of where the the last courtroom artists are now. And they were talking a lot about what you're talking about, lawyer, like people need to learn about the criminal justice system. It needs to be transparent. You need to be able to trust it and understand that it's working properly. So yeah, it does seem to be sort of an important part of it here for sure. But I, I will say, cause you mentioned Lisa Marie, the victim's family and her parents did release a statement about the name suppression and they were very pro name suppression too. Mm-hmm. Oh. Because for them, it allowed people, this is a quote from the mother, it allowed people to remember their daughter, a young, vibrant girl who set out to see the world instead of the man who took her life. To use his name shows we care and gives him the notoriety he seeks. So I thought that was a very moving statement by her family. And I found it sort of interesting different way to look at why the name suppression could be important no for sure their family was all over here and very visible and very out there and yeah it it was just very sad yeah (laughs) just remember as it was all unfolding it's like with her family coming over and her mom Mm -hmm. and dad there and and seeing them on the news and yeah yeah Mm. yeah her dad also died in 2020 which is also very sad, but at least, I guess at least he saw, I think he did see justice done, but yeah, sad story in a lot of different ways. Oh, absolutely. Back to the trial and sort of moving towards sentencing. One thing I want to mention, and this is just because this is very different for Virginia, but not necessarily different compared to other states in the U.S. In New Zealand, murder carries a mandatory sentence of life in prison, but unlike Virginia, and we've talked about this a lot lately, Virginia is a non-parole state. In New Zealand, they do offer parole, which is generally available to convicted murderers after 10 years, but the judge can actually extend that non-parole period at their discretion. So it can be longer than 10 years, but it can't be shorter. So that's a, a big difference for us in our state, like I said, and I thought it was interesting and that we're going to talk about the sentencing next. So we'll talk a little bit more about that, but I think it's that people get mad about that, right? Like what's the point of life in prison if it's really just 10 years? Yeah. 
Yes. I mean, that's it's hard not to feel that way. Like, oh, you killed someone, you got life in prison, but JK, 10 was yeah. enough. That's fine. <laughs> I wonder why they even call it life. I guess because you have to apply. I'm assuming, is this the case in New Zealand? You have to apply for a parole and go before yeah. like some sort of parole board and yeah, so there's a, a parole board once you're once you hit your eligibility and you gotta appeal and and submit reasons why <laughs> that you should be paroled and then victims or victims' families are notified that the offender has applied for parole and then they can either give verbal or written statements submissions as to whether they actually are for or against it. And then it's with a panel, a board, and then they make their decision from there. Not a legal professional, but that sounds very similar to me, to sort of how it happens here. Again, and also I don't even live in a place where we have parole, but for me not knowing anything, it sounds basically the same. Yeah. So sentencing. On February 21st, 2020, this guy was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum non-parole period of 17 years instead of 10. The court felt and the jury agreed that consent does not provide a defense to the intentional infliction of bodily harm, which is likely to result in death. And during the sentencing, the judge explained that his remarks would include four main parts and this was very, I hate to use the word awesome in such a horrible topic, but on that website you sent me, I actually found a script, everything that was said during the sentencing hearing. And it was very cool because it wasn't a bunch of legalese, which is what I'm usually reading through with appeals when I'm yeah. researching for our cases. It was just a script of what was said so I could actually read it and understand all of it and it was kind of cool I haven't ever read anything like that when I'm researching cases in the U.S. yeah we're quite special over here <laughs> <laughs> I mean in theory you can access the recordings of the trial but they would be in the court file that's right that's right I you're we have not ever tried to get any court documents or files that's a good point definitely shouldn't be available online. I mean, there's online services for attorneys that can mm -hmm. access documents in the case, but it's specific to jurisdictions usually. Mm -hmm. And there's not generally a way for the public to do that. There were definitely links that I clicked on on the website for the New Zealand government that said this isn't available to the public, but this one was I clicked on it and here's the <laughs> script from the sentencing. It was neat. So the four parts that the judge talked about included a description of the facts. This is actually where I got almost all of the details that we talked about last week and so far today. And this included an explanation of the items that the jury rejected as untrue. So even those things that were no longer considered facts were discussed during this part. Next, there were victim impact statements from the family and friends of the victim. 26 different victim impact statements were filed with the court, and the judge described them as harrowing and desperately sad reading. Next comes the killer's personal circumstances. So that's where they talked about things like his troubled childhood and the different sort of 
Now, remember, at this time, they didn't know about those two other violent sexual assaults he had committed, but they talked about the DUI and they talked about his behavior after college when he was living in Sydney. So they did talk about those things known to the court and the jury at the time. He was found to be a very high risk to the safety of others, and the judge said his upbringing had been affected by various traumas, which impacted his ability to make right decisions. The last part was an explanation of the requirements of the law when someone is murdered. So this was the part that really involved breaking down that minimum non-parole time and what it was going to be and why. And as I already said, it was extended from the standard 10 years to 17 years. And the judge explained, and this was the longest and most complicated, lots of legal term parts for, for me. But the judge basically explained that the extension was due to the killer's callous activities after the murder. So like you were talking about, Lisa Marie, like clearly this wasn't an accident and clearly you did not give one fuck about what you just did. Yeah. It it simply comes down to what he did afterwards that changed this whole crime because it it just... (laughs) It's me so worked up. Yeah. Because he just was evil about it. It really seems that way. And just to watch, you can watch a lot of things about this guy. There have been lots of, this is probably one of the bigger, I mean, if the episodes you've listened to Lisa Marie and anybody that listens to a lot of our episodes and thank you to everyone who does, we don't usually cover big cases like this. So it was also weird for me when researching to find documentaries and videos of all of his interrogations. And he is scary and creepy. Like a lot of people said, I mean, you know, we talked about last week, like former roommates said that about him. He's definitely creepy, rub people the wrong way. Absolutely. So lastly, right before the sentence was handed out, and I feel like we're all going to appreciate this because it gets back to that life sentence versus 10 year thing. The judge sort of explained that a life sentence is a life sentence and getting to apply for parole after 10 or in this case, 17 years, it's not a get out of jail free card. He said, to the contrary, you do stay in prison for the rest of your life unless you're able to convince a parole board that you're no longer a risk to the public and that you have been reformed. So he sort of explained that even if you are let out, you can be re-imprisoned at any time for causing concern or committing other offenses. So he seemed to be really aware of that fact that people are like... It's supposed to be life. What's going on? Because he spent some time sort of explaining, I guess, especially considering, you know, the callousness of the crimes and just how horrifying everyone found him to be when they interacted with him. The judge seemed to think it was really important to enforce that this isn't, you know, he's not going to be walking the street in 17 years, more likely than not. I think with people getting quite in an uproar when criminals are sentenced and but they're told that after a certain amount of time they will be eligible for parole is very scary it's like oh they're manipulative enough they can convince anyone to let them free Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's with us in New Zealand again with being quite small 
it's that rehabilitation aspect to imprisonment and saying we want to give everyone a chance and we want to we're not going to be cruel and just lock people up in a little dingy cell for the rest of their lives type thing so when the judge explained all that and said he says he's up for parole in 17 years but just don't freak out we we've got to do this because it's a part of it it's like I want to say like a human rights thing but like to be a bit more rehabilitation type than yeah I mean it's it's part of the legal system so I guess we were kind of talking about this I think it was a couple weeks ago remember I was feeling very guilty that I felt like that kid that killed his girlfriend's parents right didn't seem to get a fair shot and I felt really guilty and awkward saying that I felt like the guy should get a fair shot and it's kind of I feel like it's kind of the same thing you're kind of getting at right now maybe we don't agree with it but it's part of the legal system and he like I said whether here I'm feeling guilty again for even like having this come out of my mouth he deserves a fair journey through the criminal justice system embrace it justice (laughs) embrace it justice for all but it's It's ugly human being because you have that compassion towards people so don't feel guilty because it is it's and I'm similar it's when this all first came out it was like he's got luck without knowing everything at first about what he did after the crime but it's like this rough sex thing it was like oh he didn't mean to do it like duh but then it's yeah then everything came out so like, oh, actually no I take that all back and it's <laughs> okay now he's live in prison he's got a chance of getting free it's not likely that he'll be released on parole but you know you can't say it's not that time yet and whatever he's doing in prison at the moment but I think it just shows that we are and how you're feeling guilty about it we're compassionate because we want we want the best out of people so don't feel guilty (laughs) it's a common common feeling yeah I mean it's not it's not ugly but the better word for it is it's uncomfortable you know like it shouldn't be, but, but it is kind of look at someone who's done this hideous, horrible, awful thing and say, well, you know what, in order to be a good hearted person, each person has to receive equal treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this judge. I really, 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 really like he's my favorite judge. And he has this speech he gives at every sentencing event. And he looks at every, like every sentencing event, I've seen him do it at almost every single one. And the first thing he does is he looks at the defendant and he's like, you're worthy. I don't even know you. And I can tell you that you are worthy because you are a human being. You're worthy of a happy and successful and good life. And I hope that you find it after this. Mm. And he does this like 20 minute dad lecture. It's my favorite thing ever. (laughs) Imagine having a favorite judge. have a weird job I can't even name a judge <laughs> I have a weird job Judge Judy Judge Judy I was just saying <laughs> I was like she, tell me the name of an American judge Judge Judy <laughs> she is she is not compassionate but you know I think people I think one of the things that turns people off to parole is I mean imagine Charles Manson and his family all got to go up for parole hearings. And people were like, seriously? Why are these people just not locked up and the key thrown away? Why do they even get to waste the time of the judicial system? And I know the family of the victims would just start this huge campaign 
every time any one of them came up for parole saying, remember what they did. Well, I think it's like tough, a, but... a serial killer that I covered a fair few weeks ago, like absolute monster. I just, I believe he is the devil on earth. It's just an awful, awful story. And it's in Colombia and he is up for parole at the end of this year. And you just hope that the people on the parole board will remember what they've done. And obviously mm-hmm. you just, but you, you can't help but think, but if someone on there is like, compassionate and feels the same way we do then who knows we are just humans and we have to deal with things as they come in and it's it's scary it's very scary to think of and then on the flip side you're like oh hopefully they've changed their life around and they're going to be good people it's always like a battle in mind about different people in different cases well I think I think the victims or the victims families do get to go to parole hearings and at least speak. So they do have a voice to remind the parole board. Yeah, in New Zealand, the victims and victims' families are notified and they can, yeah, submit written or have verbal submissions, but they're actually heard separately. They're not in the same room at the same Mm. time so that there's no influence because if someone goes in there, they might become emotionally driven which obviously they would be anyway but it might be a bit different if they're sitting in the same room with the with the offender so they actually are heard separately and then they're just kept up to date with what's going on with the board and the parole well I was going to say how re-traumatizing I mean that's the thing that really hits me when I think about parole is I mean testifying in the first place and then having to go and do that again and again and no yeah and I think that's part of like we've talked about that I don't think that the death penalty is a good idea. That's sort of what the area we've been living in for the past at least month and a half on our show. And that was, you know, really part of the thing that helped Virginia, the first Southern state to get rid of the death penalty, get rid of the death penalty. They were like, well, there, there will not be parole. You will not be re-traumatized. These people will never be out on the street again. And that was really the catalyst for getting rid of, you know, capital punishment in our state. So it's all very complicated and (laughs) nuanced and tough. Cause like you said, we're all people, we all are really compassionate and it's hard to think about these things. It's not black and white. Oh, absolutely not. It's not easy. It isn't. So Lisa Marie, you said that, you know, part of this is not just throwing these people in like a dirty, dark, damp cell for the rest of their life. And I do want to say, just wrapping up here, that this guy was sent to Auckland prison, which is specifically aimed at rehabilitating rather than punishing. And the inmates there have individual TVs, personal showers. They have kiosks to order things like birthday cards. I don't know what else they have. I haven't been there. (laughs) This is what I read they offer. And this guy was put in the high security wing of the jail. But from everything I read, apparently that still means he'll have access to most of these amenities. So I thought that was very progressive. Yeah. (laughs) So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, Feeling yes, a little, so little cush, said, a little yeah, cush. <laughs> wow, get this. 
a couple of years ago, we had a very, very hot summer and our prime minister, I won't get into that because that's a whole other ball game. She commissioned for, I'm not sure if it was at Auckland prison, but a few prisons around the place because it was a very hot summer to get slushy machines, like the iced slushy drinks. Oh, yeah. And for the prisoners. Yeah. For the prisoners. Oh, like unbelievably hot. Like that's the argument for it. But a lot of us, myself included, was like, what the actual, like, where's my slushy? I can't just go down to my dairy convenience store and get an ice slushy. They're like treats. So why are they getting them? That's like a next level. It's a nice thing. Next level rehabilitation. That's not like a basic need. I don't, I don't think prisons should be the old dungeons like they used to be, but, but maybe they shouldn't have free slushies. There's like an intermediate. Yes. Yes. I just water I think... coolers. Just give them a water cooler. That's fine. <laughs> a kitty pool. Need to be a nice sugary drink. <laughs> well. So there were some appeals similar to things we've talked about here with some of our stories in the U.S. On August 6, 2020, his appeals began. He had a new lawyer for his appeals, and the appeal was denied by the Court of Appeals on December 8, 2020. But the Supreme Court stated at that time that even though the appeal was denied, the name suppression should stay in place. So like I said, remember, it wasn't until a few weeks after this, that his name was finally released. And then on June 22nd, 2021, his appeal was rejected by the Supreme Court, which was his last hope to overturn his conviction. So he will be staying in the slushy, (laughs) cushy (laughs) prison until he will first be eligible for parole in, for those of us who are bad at math, Why are you always Um, talking shit? (laughs) He'll first be eligible for parole in 2037 when he's 46. Mm. So that's the end. All right. Well, fine. 2037 is like tomorrow. It's soon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But, but like the judge says, I mean, he probably won't get it. Right. That's what we can. We'll be coming back again next week with another story. But in the meantime, if you want to say hi, hello, hi, you dern, you can email us, murdereryouknow at gmail.com. You can reach out to us on social media, Murderer You Know Podcast on Instagram and at MYK Pod on Facebook. You can go on our website, the Murderer You Know Podcast.com. You can join our mailing list. We are still <laughs> looking for that intern. 70,000 weeks later. So other than that, does anyone have anything to add? Wait, I want to add something this time. Lisa Marie, thank you so much for being here with us. It's been no, so thank fun. Thank you so much for reaching out and, and being, I'm so glad I'm able to actually help with the story that, yeah. <laughs> that fits in with your little niche. And this is just really 
so much fun. It's been so exciting. It's been awesome. And everyone make sure that you also check out Coffee and Crime, which is an amazing, fun show. And there will be all kinds of, I mean, one of the first ones I listened to was about a guy right down the street from me. So there will definitely be some very interesting stuff that you guys will learn on that show. Absolutely. Can't wait. You guys check it all out. Coffee and Crime. So well, I'm I'm still voting for the Murder You Know crew to go to New Zealand. <laughs> please, please. I may have like a little tiny house, but I will have you guys here. <laughs> well, we're still looking we're for like places where bad things in... have happened and we'll talk about it. <laughs> oh, yes. Crime field trip in our New Zealand field trip. <laughs> Anybody want to be our sponsor? You can come with us as long as you're cool <laughs> as long as you pay for the whole thing <laughs> that's what sponsorship is right all right so anybody else have anything to add yeah I mean I'm gonna have to go back and listen to last week because I don't know how Lisa Marie fits into all this yet so well that's what you get for playing <laughs> yeah. hooky <sighs> okay well all right you're right well but at least ta -ta. at least i'll be on a cliffhanger do 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 night goodbye or, or good morning Bye. oh yeah good afternoon good morning i mean what good day good good adieu. good uh, good day good day no that's all no 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 nope, that's no. not what i was doing no nope, nope. not what i was doing good night <laughs>